from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council, and happy to be filling in this evening for Tony and extremely honored to have you on board with us as well. Let me give you a rundown of what we'll be discussing today on this edition of Washington Watch. We have a third bank memo that has been released now as part of the Oversight and Accountabilities Committee's investigation into the influence peddling schemes of the Biden family. The Democrats are saying it's all smoke and no fire, but friends, there is lots and lots and lots of smoke. So where's all this pointing? Well, I'll be joined here in just a few moments with Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana to discuss that. And do you remember when FBI Director Christopher Wray was asked just last month about a memo that was tar targeting certain Catholics as potential violent extremists? Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. Well, well, according to a new document, the memo was not a single product. It was not from a single field office. We'll be unpacking this for you later in the program with former FBI agent Kyle Serafin, who, by the way, was the initial whistleblower who brought many of the revelations about a politicized FBI to light. And then I hope all of us will certainly be in prayer right now for the state of Hawaii, which is in the grip of a horrible wildfire emergency. We're working as quickly as possible to fight these fires and evacuate residents and tourists. In the meantime, our prayers with the people of Hawaii, but not just our prayers. Every asset we have will be available to them. Of course, that was President Biden just a few hours ago. I'll be joined a little bit later in the program by Edward Graham, the Chief Operating Officer for Samaritan's Purse, to discuss, to discuss the situation and the needs right now in Hawaii. And while there are many acute emergencies, just like that one happening right now in Hawaii, where there is a declaration of an emergency, sometimes that's necessary, but we've also seen that many on the left at times use such declarations on so-called emergencies simply in order to push their agenda. You may remember these remarks back in 2008 by Rahm Emanuel, who was at the time the chief of staff for President-elect Barack Obama. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. Well, that's certainly something that the left has taken to heart, and I'll share some of my thoughts on this toward the end of the program. And then we'll close out the show with some encouragement on this issue when I'm joined by FRC's own Dr. Jennifer Bowen. So we have a packed show lined up for you this evening. And as always, the website is TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any portion of today's program or you want to check out some of our archives or a host of resources there available for you. Be sure to check it out, TonyPerkins.com. And then I want to remind you that we only have a couple of days left in FRC's It Only Takes One campaign for this week only you can make four times the impact for faith, family, and freedom 
thanks to a generous $100,000 challenge match that, that we've received. And so we're offering this opportunity to you and encouraging you to come on board and join us. You can do so by texting the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, GIVE, to 67742. And we thank you in advance for joining us on board with that. All right, now let's jump into the program for this evening. Yesterday, the House Oversight Committee Chairman, James Comer, released a third bank memo that has been obtained by the committee's probe into the influence peddling schemes of the Biden family. And the committee says foreign payments to the Biden family now add up to over $20 million dollars. Well, there's tons of smoke coming out of the Hunter Biden investigation. And quite frankly, the question begs itself, how big is the fire from which all this smoke ascends? And how in the world could Vice President then, Joe Biden, have not known about all his son's business dealings, seeing that they spoke on a regular basis? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Matt Rosendale. He serves on the Committee on uh, Veterans Affairs and Natural Resources, and he's a great member of the House Freedom Caucus. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, always great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. I'm glad I'm joining you from Montana this afternoon, though, I have to tell you. Well, I know uh, uh, compared to the swamp, Montana is absolutely a heaven. Uh, in so many ways, I love your great state. Let's get into this. Uh, what, is, what is your basic assessment of the, the latest memo that has been released from Oversight Chairman Comer? I think Jamie's doing a great job. Uh, he has uh, exposed uh, the Biden crime family for what they truly are. Uh, they have sold our nation out. Uh, the vice president or the president while he was serving as vice president with uh, China and his son to Kazakhstan, Russia, Ukraine. Uh, people wonder why I've been so opposed to sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine during this conflict with Russia. While it's an unprovoked war, Russia is completely wrong. What I do know is when you send uh, cash monies to a country like that, all it's going to do is continue to perpetuate and worsen uh, the the corruption that has taken place and had been taking place for many years before uh, Russia ever invaded the nation. And now we are seeing uh, by bank statements that Hunter Biden was tied directly to it. Uh, again, we know that uh, at that time, Vice President Biden was, was negotiating deals with China, and we have seen that his entire family has been enriched. And it is, is absolutely disturbing to see that the uh, current resident in the White House, President Biden, uh, basically profited off of selling our nation off to uh, foreign countries. Yeah, it really is disturbing. And it seems like every day more and more smoke is coming to service here. And yet what's, what's puzzling and disturbing to me, quite frankly, not surprising, but nonetheless disturbing is how the legacy media looks at all this and it's like they, they look at one piece of the puzzle and then they say, okay, well, that's a piece of the puzzle. And they ignore it totally. But the reality is we have this piece and we have this piece and we have all this starting to come together. What is the picture beginning to look like in your mind as all the pieces begin to fit into to, uh, place? Oh, it was absolutely a pay to play 
or uh, operation that the vice president or the president at now, President Biden, had set up with his family so that they could all uh, benefit from his position of power. And he sold that power. You know, it's interesting, Jerry. We had a, a gun store in Great Falls, Montana, about a month ago that was raided. That was raided by 20 armed IRS agents, not ATF. This was a, a, a gun store and a shooting range, and they had 20 IRS agents raid that store. They were fully dressed in, in uh, body armor, and each one was outfitted with an AR-15, and, and they took 13,800 documents. We haven't seen anything like that happen to the Delaware residents of President Biden uh, with all of the clear uh, transactions that have been exposed through the bank records that Representative Jamie Comer has been able to acquire and show the trail of corruption that that leads directly to the White House door. Wow. Yeah, I, I did read about that that raid that you're referencing, and yeah, the comparison between the two is stunning. You know, I, I, it was um, somewhat comical to watch. I don't know if you saw yesterday on Fox News, Peter Ducey, he actually asked about the uh, testimony of Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devin Archer, uh, to the president, and he said to the president, he says that you were on speakerphone more than 20 times, and that exchange, here's what the president had to say. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you were on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I never talked business in anyone. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. Was that a lousy question? That's a, it's a, a perfectly good question, and, and we're, the rest of the country is wondering why there's not any uh, professional curiosity uh, with any so-called journalist across the nation. It's up to Peter Ducey to try and expose this. It's just unbelievable. Again, President Trump makes a question, uh, makes a telephone call to Zelensky and says, if you don't clean up your corruption, we're not going to continue to send you aid. Joe Biden calls up Zelensky and says, if you don't drop to, uh, an investigation against my son, then you're not going to get aid. Oh, and by the way, we want to make sure that he is positioned on all of these boards so that he can generate revenue for the Biden crime family. The people across this country uh, don't have problems understanding this terrible double standard. And, and if I've said it once, I've said it 50 times. The equal justice under the law can't be a slogan, Jody. It's got to be a reality. And right now, we are not witnessing that. And I'll tell you, if I have a couple of minutes, I, don't, I know that you're going to go into Christopher Ray and the FBI later. But I have to tell you, as a Catholic, I am deeply, deeply offended by the way that they have turned additional investigative uh, services against Catholics. And I will tell you how I feel and how a lot of Catholics feel. This nation is under greater threat of harm from the Catholic who's sitting in the White House than they are from Catholics who are attending Latin, Latin masses. Absolutely. And that's one reason I wanted to have you on today, because uh, I, I know you're a devout Catholic. We've had many conversations on the House floor and other places about your faith, and and I have deep, deep respect for you. But this issue 
the FBI director, Christopher Wray, I mean, he testified just last month that this memo going after Catholics was just a single product coming from a single field office, and now <clears throat> it appears that simply is not true. Your take on that? It, it is not true. They proved that it was corroborated between uh, uh, Portland and Los Angeles and Richland, uh, Richmond. And if Christopher Bray says, I was a guest, and when I found this out, I removed this document from the FBI, what was the word you use? System. I removed it from the FBI system. Jody, if he was truly a guest, how about the people that prepared it being removed from the FBI system? That's what he should have done. That's what a leader would have done. We've got some bad eggs within these Department of Justice systems, the FBI, and, and they're conducting surveillance on American citizens, and it is wrong. And so I will say once again, we've got more problems and a larger threat from the Catholic who is sitting in the White House than Catholics that are practicing their faith in a Latin mass. Exclamation point to that. And, you know, I, I look at all this, uh, Congressman, and you just wonder it, the double-tiered system of justice, uh, the destruction of the FBI, all of this. Uh, we've got to have transparency. We've got to get to the bottom of this. And I just want to, again, say thank you for your incredible leadership on so many fronts. And thank you again for coming on the program this evening. Thanks for having me on, and thank you to the uh, Family Research Council. You're, you're putting a lot you of hope in a lot of people's lives. Thank you so much. All right, friends, coming up, we're going to actually have a former FBI agent joining us. In fact, he's the initial whistleblower that brought so many of these issues to light. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in this evening for Tony, who is taking some well-deserved time off, and I'm glad to be with you. All right, we just ended the last segment talking about the FBI. I want to drill a little bit deeper into that. You probably remember last month, FBI Director Christopher Wray was literally grilled at a Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on the uh, FBI oversight, and Director Ray was asked specifically about a memo targeting certain Catholics and claiming them to be potential violent extremists. Well, here is one of his responses to that question. Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. Oh, really? Really? A single product coming from a single field office. And once he found out about it, he took care of it. Well, not according to a new document that shows the involvement of multiple field offices in the creation of the memo's assessment. Well, joining me now to offer his insights is Kyle Serafin. He's a former FBI agent and the initial whistleblower who brought many of the revelations of a politicized FBI to light. Kyle, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to have you, sir. Well, thanks for having me on, Jody. Well, listen, uh, before we get into what was just uncovered, uh, can you give us just a, a quick refresher course on the memo itself and how it came to light? Yeah, absolutely. So I left the FBI in uh, April of 2022. I had my badge, my gun removed. Uh, this was after whistleblower activity related to dealing with parents at school board meetings, uh, an allegation that I made that the attorney general may have committed perjury. And so that's the background that got me out of the FBI's field office, but it didn't keep me from looking into what was going on at the FBI. And obviously I had a lot of contacts there. I had a whistleblower approach me and ask for a route to Congress in order to expose a intelligence product which basically drew a, a line around 
radical traditionalist Catholics, which was a term I was not familiar with until this document. And it stated that Latin mass Catholics likely have common cause with white supremacists, and therefore the FBI should be introducing various different methods to combat that, including recruiting sources inside the Catholic Church, which was pretty eye-opening to me and also to the individual who brought it to me, who was not a Catholic, but is someone who took their oath seriously. And so when that happened, uh, I wrote a um, just sort of a expose, if you will, uh, at UncoverDC.com with Tracy Beans. And we gave the entire document to the media. We gave it to the public because it is the American people's tax dollars at work. And we said, here's my write-up on it. This is what my take is. I used to work in the intelligence field, so I understand how they're written. But you can do what you want with it because uh, a lot of different people wrote stories about it everywhere from uh, Daily Signal, Daily Caller, Daily Wire, you name it. People went out and this went pretty big. I ended up on Tucker Carlson talking about it. And the basic story is, is that this is a problem. It's a First Amendment protected activity, and it shouldn't be where the FBI is going. It was where they went, led to a bunch of questions, and that got us to a point where Jim Jordan's committee has been asking more and more, what in the world went on here? How did the FBI ended up in this scenario? And then, even though I think Chris Ray probably avoided a perjury trap by what he said, because it did originate from one field office and it was one document, there were multiple field offices involved in getting the information behind it, which is kind of what we all suspected, those of us who work in this sort of world. And it's all deception in in the answer. I mean, he knew very well that there were multiple uh, offices. And I mean, this was, a, you don't have offices in Portland or uh, San Francisco or wherever all these may end up coming out of just doing something like this at the spur of the moment all the same time. Somehow this is people following a directive. Isn't that correct? I believe so. Yeah. So this was, this is a single intelligence product that was trying to create what I would call like a seed crystal. People can imagine the initial cell of a seed and it builds around it. When you're doing intelligence work, you're trying to build up a body of work that justifies, you know, what your job is. That's what these intelligence analysts do. So this was the initial product that went out there doing that, but it was gathering from multiple different sources in different field offices. This included uh, human sources and some reporting that they had that came out of Portland and Los Angeles. And the idea was, is we're going to generate this sort of fake threat because there's this like massive demand for white supremacy in the FBI and uh, the supply doesn't really meet it. So let's see if we can find it in the Catholic church and the whistleblower who brought it to me and we got to Congress basically said, if they can get into the Catholic church, they can get into any other Christian denomination because this is just a pry bar to go after Christians in general. And almost all of the positions that they were espousing that were so-called white supremacist positions, they're just mainline conservative positions. They're about abortion. They're about LGBT, uh, LGBTQ issues. They're about border security of all things. And so when you go into these, these are mainline Christian and mainline conservative causes. This is the FBI trying to go after conservatives. Well, and I hope everyone heard what you just said. This is nothing other than a pry bar being used by the federal government to look under the hood of Christians and uh, houses of faith and different denominations. Uh, and this is a massive violation of our First Amendment. Now, the, the, the investigation is still ongoing. What do you think the Judiciary Committee, uh, I mean, obviously, they're wanting more information. What are they, what are they looking for? They're looking for the names of the people that approved it because this was approved by both a, um, you know, an intelligence analyst, an intelligence supervisor. Then it went to an attorney who was the lead person in the Richmond field office. They're going to want to know who was also approving these uh, source operations that were happening in the other field offices. So now we have multiple 
uh, field offices involved. So there's a there's a, a web of people that are interested in going after Catholics. The question is, who are they and how pervasive is it in the FBI? We also saw stories like Mark Hout, who was uh, arrested by the Bureau in, in Philadelphia. So there's there's other anti-Christian, anti-Catholic bias that is being seen. And the craziest thing about it, for those of us that worked in the FBI, the FBI is one of the most Christian and probably the most Catholic organizations that I've ever seen in the federal government. There are so many Catholics that work there. And even Latin mass Catholics who, who would travel from uh, Quantico while they were at the academy would go down to some of these parishes in the Richmond field office. And they reached out to me individually, even though I was out of the bureau, and they were furious with what this said. So there is this strange dividing of the ranks, and obviously they're targeting people even within the bureau. All right, 30 seconds left. FBI Director Ray says that there is a, an inspection underway. Explain to us real quickly, what does the FBI mean by an inspection? So there's an entire division, it's called Inspection Division. They're supposed to do internal investigations, but you'll be shocked to learn that when the FBI investigates itself, it often finds that the FBI is not guilty of what the FBI has accused itself of. So it often comes up in a very favorable manner. You know, the government looking after the government is not a good watchdog. Wow. Thank you, former FBI agent Kyle Serafin. Always great to talk with you. Thank you for your leadership. That's my pleasure. All right, friends, coming up, we are going to shift gears and talk about the wildfires in Hawaii. Uh, obviously, that has prompted an emergency pro proclamation from the governor there. Well, what's going on and what can we do to help out? Stay tuned to find out. We'll be back right after this break. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled a Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org slash worldview.
Welcome back to Washington Watch. Hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm your host this evening, Jody Heiss, and welcome aboard. Well, at this point, obviously, all of us, our thoughts and prayers are going up for those in Hawaii who right now are in the grip of a wildfire emergency. The fire has already tragically claimed at least 36 lives in Maui County. Uh, there are countless numbers of uh, wound, wounded individuals and those without electricity in homes. Uh, the Pentagon said today that more than 100 National Guard members have been activated to assist. And as is the case with so many disasters around the world, our great friends at Samaritan's Purse are also looking at how they can alleviate some of the suffering of those on the Hawaiian islands. So here to share more about their efforts is Edward Graham, the Chief Operating Officer for Samaritan's Purse. Edward, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Jerry, thanks for having us on. Well, it's always great to see you. And, you know, there's just a, a, a very honestly, just a sense of relief knowing that Samaritan's Purse is Samaritan's Purse. And y'all are always where you need to be, giving both hope and encouragement and help spiritually. And so right out of the gate, let me say thank you for the incredible work that you do and all of you. But what are you hearing on the ground right now coming out of Hawaii? And as you, you've already stated and you've shown the video clips, this is just horrific. And the loss has just been incredible, not just in property, but in human loss. And just the panic, um, as we've heard stories of people running to the water to get away from this. But we've been talking to our church partners. We have a lot of church friends there. And Samaritan's Purse actually has responded to Hawaii in the past for flooding. So we do have trained volunteers there in the area that worked with us and know how to assess. But we've already sent some of our teams that are good and have been trained in actual proper assessment uh, to Hawaii. But today our team also had a phone call with some of the emergency managers there. And so they're asking what we can do after fires. They also are asking us about medical capabilities because we can deploy hospitals. Their hospitals are at capacity, 100% capacity. Um, they're, they're working and they're doing well and they couldn't take any more, but they're okay. And so that will slowly start to come down as this fire is contained. Uh, I don't think they're going to ask for our medical help, but we do know that after fire and a loss like this, Samaritan's Purse can come in and help with sifting. This is where we go through and we look for, um, for materials or for artifacts. Um, Maybe it's a trinket, maybe it's a ring, something that's important to that homeowner. It helps them bring closure during a time like this. But we always work through the local church, and one of those churches is Pastor Greg Laurie. Uh, many of you all know from his recent films. Um, he has a satellite church there. I've been working with him and his son, Jonathan, on what the needs are there. Um, but we just know there's so much loss, and there's going to be a loss of home. So people are going to be hurting where to go after this. And so we expect to go there and work through the local church and help with sifting uh, once this, uh, this fire is over. Well, we are so grateful for that, and you're going to be working through the local church there in Hawaii. What about on the mainland here? How can folks here get involved to help out? Yeah, well, pray. We already brought that up. We should be praying. Um, I'm a firm believer in the power of prayer, um, but there are churches there that are um, that are already involved in trying to help in the immediate need. One would be a Harvest Church there in Riverside, California, that has a side. I know what Greg and his son have already told us what they're doing, trying to to help their uh, their church there. But if you're interested in what Samaritan's Purse is doing, you can go to our website, and we'll announce when we actually deploy and go to that location and what churches we'll be partnering with. Um, and you can find out ways to be involved. Um, but I always ask for your prayers. 
Absolutely, and we're going to do that. We're going to absolutely call on our viewers and listeners to to pray and to get involved in this. And, you know, again, it just makes it so much easier for that to happen, knowing that you are there not only helping with the the physical needs, but the spiritual as well. So how do you do that in an emergency situation like this, be it flooding, fires, earthquakes, hurricanes, whatever? You go in at a moment of absolute disaster and upheaval and in individual lives and provide physical and spiritual healing. What What is that like? What do you experience and how open are people at catastrophic moments in their lives such as this? Great question. You know, each storm's different. I was recently up in Orange County, New York, West Point, uh, home of West Point, where the floods were. Um, so in a storm like that, we go in and we will volunteer with our Samaritan's Purse volunteers. They'll go in and they'll muck out a home. In this case, in the fire, once we get the all clear from the, the state, we can go and we can start sifting for these lost uh, these lost home items and these rings and these wedding rings and look for them for the homeowners. And while we're doing that, our orange shirt volunteers are doing that. That homeowner's going to come out, why are you here? Or they're going to tell us their story, the story about the fire. They're going to tell the story about the flood, the hurricane. And we also deploy with our rapid response chaplains from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. These are chaplains that are credentialed to be able to go during a time of crisis. They're allowed to go in, work with law enforcement and the first responders. Um, but they're sh- they're trained on how to share the hope of Jesus Christ to those that have lost so much. And so that's the partnership between the two organizations, between Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We want these homeowners to know that Jesus has not forsaken them, that Jesus loves them, even during this time of crisis. They're going to ask us, why are you here? Or they're going to ask us, has Jesus forsaken me? And that's when the chaplains can answer the questions while the orange shirt Samaritan's Purse volunteers are out there serving and loving their neighbor in the ditch of the world. Edward, give us your website to Samaritan's Purse one more time. Samaritanspurse.org, and it will say how to get involved. It shows other places around the country that we're currently working in domestic, and it'll post as soon as we deploy and get approval to start working in Hawaii. It'll say that up on the website as well. Edward Graham, thank you so much for coming on Washington Watch, and thanks to you and all your team at Samaritan's Purse for the incredible work you do. I appreciate it. Thanks for all you do and Tony does. Thank you so much. All right, friends, coming up, there's a reason why the left does so much fear-mongering. It's because fear opens the door for them to take control. We'll unpack more of this for you right after the break. Stay tuned. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742 and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman Matt Rosendale. I think that the ability to get the uh, message out uh, to a larger audience is critically important. And uh, 40 years that the uh, uh, Family Research Council has been doing that, it not only uh, gives hope to the members of Congress and Senate that are up here serving so that they know that they have that strong ally. We need your support. We need your voice out there. And uh, the families across the country need it. And thank you again for everything that you do. Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale celebrating with us 40 years of service and ministry here at the Family Research Council. Matt is a great a great friend and understands the spiritual issues that are involved in what our country is facing as well. And I appreciate him and his comments and great to have him on the program just a few moments ago. But also join us September 15th through 17th here in Washington, D.C. at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit as we celebrate those 40 years of standing for faith, family, and freedom. I want you to know right now registration is open. You can go there at prayvotestand.org for details and to register right now. All right, in the last segment, we shared about the wildfires that are taking place in Hawaii and the incredible work that Samaritan's Purse is doing over there to bring hope, both physically and spiritually. And of course, with something as traumatic as what is happening in these wildfires, an emergency proclamation has been given by the governor. And by design, these type of declarations are necessary. They bolster resources and they help speed up actions for help. 
But I want to give another perspective, something that we are watching right now as it relates to emergency declarations. They can also be abused. And I'm not talking about abuse coming from other countries that are controlled by dictators. We're seeing it right here in America. And we've seen it for some time, and it's becoming to a pattern to the point that I want to bring it to your attention. Just for example, in May, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, Democrat, declared that public education in North Carolina is facing a state of emergency. And he went on to say that this state of emergency in education is being caused by legislative Republicans who are proposing legislation to establish universal school choice, to roll back woke ideology, to make school board education electorally accountable, uh, to raise teachers' salaries by less than what he, the governor, wanted. Uh, but look, under North Carolina law, during a state of emergency, the governor has additional power to utilize all available state resources as reasonably necessary to cope with an emergency. That's a key thing for you to understand. During COVID, we saw draconian measures of local and state governments, such as the mask mandates and uh, shutting down uh, non-essential businesses, all this sort of stuff, forcing employers to fire unvaccinated staff. We saw uh, Democrats treat uh, COVID stimulus packages as a power grab to push Democratic priorities and agendas. I personally saw this. But, but we watched priorities that had absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic being pushed forward. Because all the people out of jobs the Democrats are using to push, what are they pushing for? Changing the emission standards on airplanes. Mr. President, what do the emission standards on airplanes have to do with thousands of people dying and millions of people out of work in the coronavirus epidemic? Great question. Of course, I was Cruz. But last month, even, yet another example, nine senators, including Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat from Massachusetts, and Bernie Sanders and others, they asked the president last month to declare a national climate emergency to unlock the broad powers of the National Emergency Act. Well, doing so would allow the Biden administration to rapidly develop a bold array of different rules that would simply impose enormous burdens upon private industries. Uh, and look, the, the, the point is, I think you're getting this. We are watching a rash, if you will, of emergency declarations all over the government, uh, all over the country, which is allowing the government to take all sorts of draconian uh, hands. Uh, we're watching it with the climate right now. We have a climate emergency. In fact, the weather, uh, the uh, Weather Channel uh, is is saying this as well. I mean, we're watching this all all over the place. In fact, clip number two, play play that for me real quickly. Are you prepared to declare a national emergency with respect to climate change? We've already done that. We're moving. It's the, it is the existential threat to humanity. All right. This is my point. We're watching it from the federal level. We're watching it on the state level, all over the place. This is what we even aired earlier, just the, the use of Rahm Emanuel's 
let a crisis go to waste. And so what happens is the creation of a crisis and then the grabbing of power to take control. And I've, I've got a whole list of them here. I mean, from education emergencies, of course, health care emergencies, LGBTQ emergencies, abortion emergencies, uh, climate, a monkeypox emergency, all these things. Now, listen, I want to I share something with you that I, I witnessed this personally as a member of the Oversight Committee in Congress for eight years. But, but I watched personally during the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, the Democrats take charge of saying we have a health emergency and therefore we need to change election laws. So we take this emergency, create, say it's an emergency that now demands that we change election laws. And of course, we saw so many problems with that. Look, I, I want to share something with you that's very important and then I want to transition and go on from here. But I, when you start hearing phrases like state of emergency, and it's popping up for all other reasons other than legitimate reasons, like what we're seeing in Hawaii right now, totally legitimate, and that should be. It is a state of an emergency. But when you see that terminology, terminology used for other things, it should raise a red flag. One thing that I saw in Congress firsthand, and I want to lay this out as effectively as I can, it seems as though the Democrat Party has one thing in mind every day. It seemed to me every day Nancy Pelosi woke up, she had one thing on her mind, and that was to advance her agenda. Republicans, on the other hand, tend to be more focused on things like elections. So we want to win an election. Important, and we need to win. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, the one who moves the agenda wins. The one who moves the agenda changes the trajectory of the entire country. And so we are watching various tools being used for the purpose of disregarding legislative bodies and granting executive authority to move a liberal agenda forward. And such is the case more often than not, it seems, these days, with the state of emergency. Uh, I mean, we've, we saw, I mean, look what's happening right now to Tommy Tuberville. The emergency that's being created is he's shutting down the military. But the, the purpose behind all of this, they're trying to advance abortion policies forward and cram illegal abortion policies down the throats of our military. And if it wins there, it happens everywhere. The climate. Look, the, the, let me give you this. The uh, e economic emergency, uh, the economic crisis. Sorry, we just had an economic crisis crisis, emergency, whatever, that produced the Inflation Reduction Act, which had nothing to do with reducing inflation. It had everything to do with advancing climate change policies and green energy policies. So I hope you catch what I'm trying to communicate here. Just keep a red flag. When you hear proclamations of a state of emergency, it seems like more and more and more those proclamations are a smokescreen 
for a great push towards more radical ideology being crammed down our throats. And the other side of an emergency, and I want to bring in our final guest for the evening, this. Whenever you hear an emergency declaration, that causes a degree of fear. And I want to talk about this. An ill-motivated government leader trying to take advantage of a crisis. Uh, and in the process, they are pushing forth an agenda, but at the same time creating fears that people have. is is fear-mongering and taking advantage of that. And throughout Scripture, we're told repeatedly not to fear, and with good reason. Fear takes power away from us. Fear gives power to the enemy. And it's a psychological battle as well as a spiritual battle. Well, joining me now to discuss this further is Dr. Jennifer Bowens. She's the director of the Center of Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Uh, She has extensive clinical and research experience working with survivors of trauma and abuse and has also taught on uh, psychological trauma and research methods in several graduate programs. Jennifer, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be with you again, Jody. Well, it's always great to have you. Listen, give us a a little more background uh, on some of the work that you've done on fear and the the fear created by crises in people's lives. Yeah, so um, I I have a background working with uh, some of the large-scale traumas that our nation has faced. Um, I've done research and and clinical work um, on 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, and um, one thing that I'd say is I'm so glad you're having this conversation around words because in, in my field, my previous field, uh, in trauma, what I see is the word trauma has been overused. And so, you know, people will say, I didn't get a parking spot and it was so traumatic or, you know, they'll, they'll use it very loosely. And I think that's what we're seeing with the word emergency. And the, the problem with that is that it, it minimizes those true emergencies. It minimizes, or, or in the case of trauma, it minimizes the true trauma while generalizing, um, you know, every experience to the level of, of um, an emergency. And that promotes fear, but it also, people aren't psychologically ready to respond to a state of emergency because everything's an emergency. And that's a problem. We saw that with Hurricane Katrina and the the other hurricanes that preceded Katrina because there was people had heard those warnings and they didn't turn out to be that bad. Um, so, so some people stayed during Hurricane Katrina and we know the unfortunate results of, of that. And so I look at this rhetoric that's coming out of D.C. and I, I think it's, it's dangerous for a lot of different reasons and it's certainly dangerous at the place of, of fear mongering um, because fear uh, Jody, as you know, I mean, you watch this in Congress. Fear um, pr- cries out for an answer, right? So it it is asking for someone to take control over a situation that feels very much out of control, and and there are too many people in Congress that are all too happy to take that power away from from individuals and from um, f- well from from the nation itself. Jennifer, that is extremely well said, and I, I thank you for uh, putting it in that in that way. I, I saw a, a recent uh, study uh, that basically revealed that more than two thirds of Protestant pastors 
are now reporting that there's a growing sense of fear in their congregations regarding the future. And, and that's no wonder. I mean, we have emergencies on everything, but people are fearful uh, in so many ways. What do you draw from that? Well, fear is in the very atmosphere that we're living in, and, and not just our country, but around the, around the world. And I think one thing that's always important to keep in mind, as the Bible said, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So that tells me that fear is a spirit. And so just because we feel something doesn't mean that it's ours. And that might sound a little strange, but what I, you know, you can look at it this way. You walk into a room where somebody had an argument and you might feel that tension. It doesn't mean that that tension is yours. So, so for one, I think we need to get really good at discerning the difference between our own feelings and senses and what's actually going on in the world around us. And that will help us kind of separate the fear that we're experiencing. But two, to remember that God has not given us that spirit. And what, what fear wants to do is it wants, it wants attention. It wants us to obey it instead of obeying what God has for us. So just because we feel it doesn't mean that we have to obey its voice and keep us from what God wants from us. And it doesn't mean that we need to be controlled. Um, and that's where it comes to the policy level, is that we, we don't need to be controlled. Um, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. Absolutely. And that's where faith comes in, in believing that God is bigger than our fears, bigger than the problems. He has already walked before us. He holds us as his children in the palm of his hand, and he is totally trustworthy. Jaren, for balance, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program and helping unpack some of this fear-mongering that's taking place. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. And let me just speak into your life that we are not going to be full of fear. We're going to be full of faith. We're going to trust God. We're going to be confident in the Lord Jesus and move forward. Thank you for joining us this evening. Hope you have a fantastic evening. We'll see you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.